0: Well, and here we are. We're going to continue on to Chapter 4 of the Yoga Sutra of Pantanjali. Chapter 4 is Freedom. These attainments, brought about by integration, may also arise at birth through the use of herbs, from intonations, or through austerity. Being delivered into a new form comes about when natural forces overflow. The transformation into this form... Or that is not driven by the causes proximate to it, just oriented by them, the way a farmer diverts a stream for irrigation. Feeling, like a self, is the frame that orients consciousness towards individuation. A succession of consciousnesses, generating a vast array of distinctive perceptions, appears to consolidate into one individual consciousness one consciousness is fixed in meditative absorption it no longer contributes to the store of latent impressions latent impressions so once again i apologize line 6 of chapter 4 once consciousness is fixed in meditative absorption it no longer contributes to the store of latent impressions. The actions of a realized yogi transcend good and evil, whereas the actions of others may be good or evil or both. Each action comes to fruition by coloring latent impressions according to its quality. Good, evil, or both. Because the depth memory and its latent impressions are a piece of Their dynamic of cause and effect flows uninterruptedly across the demarcations of birth, place, and time. They have always existed because the will to exist is eternal. Since its cause, effect, bias, and object are inseparable, a latent impression disappears when they do. The past and future are imminent in in an object, existing as different sectors in the same flow of experiential forms. The characteristics of these sectors, whether manifest or subtle, are imparted by the fundamental qualities of nature. Their transformations tend to blur together, imbuing each new object with a quality of substantiality. People perceive the same object differently, as each person's perception follows a separate path from another's. But the object is not dependent on either of those perceptions. Or if it were, what would happen to it when nobody was looking? An object is known only by a consciousness it has colored. Otherwise, it is not known. Patterns of consciousness are always known by pure awareness. They're ultimate unchanging witness. Consciousness is seen not by its own light but by awareness. Furthermore, consciousness and its object cannot be perceived at once. If consciousness were perceived by itself instead of by awareness, the chain of such perceptions would regress infinitely imploding memory. Once it is stilled, though, Uh, Consciousness comes to resemble unchanging awareness and can reflect itself being perceived. Then consciousness can be colored by both awareness and the phenomenal world, thereby fulfilling all its purposes. Even when colored by countless latent traits, consciousness, like all compound phenomena, has another purpose, to serve awareness. As soon as one can distinguish between consciousness and awareness, the ongoing construction of the self ceases. Consciousness, now oriented to this distinction, can gravitate towards freedom, the fully integrated knowledge that awareness is independent of nature. Any gaps in discriminating awareness allow distraction, uh, distracting thoughts to emerge from the store of latent impressions. These distractions can be subdued, as the causes of suffering were, by tracing them back to their origin or through meditative absorption. One who regards even the most exalted states disinterestedly, discriminating continuously between pure awareness and the phenomenal world, enters the final stage of integration in which nature is seen to be a cloud of irreducible experiential forms. This realization extinguishes both the causes of suffering and the cycle of cause and effect. Once all the layers and imperfections concealing truth have been washed away, insight is boundless, with little left to know. Then the seamless flow of reality, its transformations colored by the fundamental qualities, begins to break down, fulfilling the true mission of consciousness. One can see that the flow is actually a series of discrete events, each corresponding to the merest instant of time in which one form becomes another. Freedom is at hand when the fundamental qualities of nature, each of their transformations witnessed at the moment of its inception, are recognized as irrelevant to pure awareness. It stands alone, grounded in its very nature, the power of pure seeing. That is all. So there you go. That's the end of uh, chapter four, and it's the end of the Yoga Sutras of Panchanjali. I'm actually going to read some more material uh, by the author, uh, just to give us some more insight and also a little bit of interest, um, because uh, the path of yoga, um, apart from a few different words used, very identical to some of the paths that followed later. Uh, a couple things we want to maybe mention just in this chapter alone. Once again, we've seen uh, uh, subject-object uh, duality. We've also seen uh, the three states, right? I've discussed this in previous uh, podcast: the illusory state, um, and there's the you know the perfection state, and then there's the deluded state. So I always use the example of. Um, uh, a person who is colorblind, until they realize that they're colorblind, they don't, real, they don't understand um, their perception of color, in this case, or the phenomenal world, is jaded. Now, you give that uh, colorblind person a pair of uh, special uh, eyeglasses that allows them to see uh, colors as they should be. Uh, at that point, the person does see, not unlike, as the Yoga Sutra mentioned, that you can have a moment of clarity or enlightenment, which allows you to see the difference between your consciousness and pure awareness. So there's that illusory state. You don't understand. You can also transition to that state where you do understand that what you're perceiving isn't uh, reality. Um, but still understand that you're not perceiving uh, reality as it is. Again, you're not in that state of uh, pure awareness. Uh, And finally, what was the last little thing that was interesting? Um, It actually does also mention about uh, dependent origination. It talks about how you can watch um, uh, the cycle of cause and effect. You can watch... um, the phenomenal world appear and, and disappear. Oh, and it also mentioned um, consciousness, citta, the mind, um, as not a continuous um, thing, uh, but uh, a series of births and deaths of individ- individual consciousnesses. So you can see that how it 100% um, shares the philosophy with the Abhidharma, the Buddhist um, Psychology or idea uh, that um, we are made up of individual consciousnesses. Again, I've spoken about this in other podcasts. Uh, your ear consciousness, your nose consciousness, your eye consciousness. Uh, each one of them do not again impermanence, right? Uh, so each one of them is born and uh, and and you know uh, disappears. Upon each, same as our emotions, our volition, our thoughts, our feelings. Um, So you can see uh, quite a a coalescence, um, an integration, if you will, uh, between a number of these uh, thought uh, processes. Um, But yeah, so that's the end of the Yoga Sutra of Panchanjali, the text itself. I'm going to continue on and read some of the additional work in this book. Uh, The author. Um, I will give credit at the end. Uh, shares all of this information online, so you're able to read, uh, print, even he says, uh, the Yoga Sutra. Uh, so that is why I'm sharing it because it uh, it does provide quite uh, quite an insight. Uh, it actually strips away some of the uh, the insufficiency uh, that's been added into some of these philosophies in the last uh, thousands of years. And also the reason why I'm going to continue to read a little bit from the author in this book, because he does speak to this as well. That um, uh, some of these very lucid and uh, and simple philosophies have been convoluted by personality, uh, cults, uh, ego. Uh, so here we sit. Uh, we're uh, what some sects would consider the Dharma ending age, and all that means is that uh, people aren 't um, able um, or willing uh, to uh, understand the truth of the Dharma, meaning we are the source of our own suffering. Uh, we are in that age, or we are simply in an age that is pretty obvious that people could use um, some sucker some uh, some relief from uh, our our existence um, and so uh, for me again I, I should probably do my trailer to explain exactly who and, and what I am and where I come from uh, but for me uh, having studied for 30 uh, odd years I was always considered a bit of a heretic because um, I never applied a sect or a label uh, to my own uh, belief uh, system my own uh, preference for thought and philosophy, um, as well as uh, up until recently, there never seemed to be this understanding that the practice of uh, awareness or meditative absorption or jhana or dhyana, whatever they end up calling it, satori, uh, samadhi, um, whatever you want to call it, this uh, awareness, this focus, this uh, clear light insight. Is not to be found strictly on a cushion or in a meditative hall, and certainly not um, sequestered away from life. Uh, And the liberation, um, the liberation we all seek, uh, is both uh, lies within the uh, the source of the same dissatisfaction uh, as uh, the solution. And that's, uh, that's our mind, as I said. And, uh, again, that last chapter, uh, he continues to, uh, try to explain that. That, uh, the source of liberation is within us all. And it's simply, uh, just, uh, making that selfless choice. Right? Uh, remembering that, uh, our ego is always trying to, uh, to jade not just our perception, but uh, to guide our choices. Um, Not uh, for uh, the betterment of ourselves and others, because again, this ego uh, that we all um, indulge, uh, not only doesn't exist, uh, but it is the malevolent force uh, in our lives, uh, in the universe. So it arguably is the enemy. And I remember reading an article recently that some successful people um, find uh, great benefit in uh, uh, setting their lives up as a competition against, uh, for example, an enemy. And uh, I think it's absolutely perfect that the article that I was reading, the gentleman actually uh, didn't use competitors as his enemy or another company. His enemy was himself, right? Right? his laziness, his apathy, or uh, like one gentleman I enjoy listening to, he considers uh, his own laziness, right? His 60% rule. He feels that most people feel like they're out of steam or they're incapable of achieving an end result. But in reality, they're only at about 60% of their, uh, their ability, their, uh, their uh, tank of fuel, and, uh, and that's, that's what the fourth chapters talking about, is uh, a lot of people not having realized, um, twofold, not having realized that their suffering stems from their ego, and not having realized that the same relief from the dissatisfaction also uh, can come from the ego. As the chapter said, some people uh, haven't uh, walked the path uh, long enough, and you don't have to walk it very long uh, to realize how um, taking uh, control of your own uh, destiny, karma, if you will, your your action, your choices, uh, or lack thereof, uh, taking responsibility for how um, your choices, your actions, the cause uh, results in the effect. Right? As ye sow, so shall ye reap. So. Once again, I just love uh, how this just seems to coalesce into simple human truths. Uh, It's not uh, a philosophy, particularly in this case, that we can attribute to one individual. Um, Arguably, none of it can be. I like to consider myself a student of theosophy. Uh, That's the moral basis of religion. And so I prefer to see them as human truths uh, and a prescription Uh, For all of us, rather than a sect or a culture or a personality or a guru. Again, labels are lame. Uh, Awareness is the goal. And liberation. There you go. Have a wonderful day.